he says the thing like oh so i'm mario and you're fucking princess peach or whatever uh and then she's like no we can they have this argument and then she's like no we can we we don't have to teleport with fragile we we can just run like mario and princess beach um again some of the worst writing that i've ever experienced in a video game um it's so bad like <sighs> would you say then that sam's a real son of a beach no no i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't say that at all Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Spider's Crowbar. And this week, we stave off the sixth extinction with Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding. Before we explain the backstory behind our convoluted names, remember you can help us on Mortified, the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. That is uh, Lace's abandonment man to you. <laughs> okay. Or uh, Epical Crowbar, okay. or Baking Kojima Man, <laughs> or, and I shit you not, The Spider's Man. No. I did You're... on the Brian David Gilbert Kojima name generator role the Spider's Man. Well, the Spider's Man. Well, Crowbar, as some call you. <laughs> what? How did we get here talking about Death Stranding in the year of our Lord 2021? I believe your exact words were, let's do Death Stranding. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, here's the thing. Originally, I sent you a something I saw on Twitter, which was the Death Stranding novelization uh, about a year ago. And I was like, I cannot believe this is a real thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it did spark a conversation about how, you know, neither of us have played or, you know, really know much about Death Stranding besides listening to it on video game podcasts. Uh, and this weekend, we... Uh, we watched all the cutscenes for specifically the 2021 director's cut version, um, which is a 12-hour-long cutscene video. Um, uh, we want to make clear straight up, we did not play the game, and that is really going to impact our conversation. We we know that there's a lot of stuff that is missed out on if you don't actually play a video game, uh, believe it or not. Um, and, and, you know, we don't want that to affect our conversation. We know that there's a lot of very positive aspects of Death Stranding's gameplay. Um, but here at Mortified, gameplay kind of takes a backseat to narrative, uh, and we are going to get into the narrative here in a bit. Um, but yeah, Layla, do you remember uh, back in 2019 when Death Stranding came out? You know, what were, you know, what were your thoughts and feelings about it? Uh, I remember two things. I remember being really, really excited uh, at the E3 presentation that kojima had a really cool entrance he had like a staircase made of light and he came down and he was it was like the the not to compare the two situations but the excitement was almost on par with like britney getting free like that was the it was a very similar reaction from the audience of like uh just the level of hype and then i remember the like teaser for 
Death Stranding, which was naked Norman Reedus with a pod baby. Mm -hmm. And that's all the information we got for kind of a while. How did you feel about it? Uh, like you, yeah, I, I had seen the naked Norman Reedus, uh, and, and been like, wow, there's a lot of dead whales in here, and I guess Norman Reedus can, can give birth now. Okay. Um, and then I remember seeing some trailers with, like, Mads Mikkelsen coming out of, like, oil with a bunch of soldiers, and he, like, holds his cigarette up into nothingness, and it just lights on fire by itself, and I was like, I, I mean, I don't know anything about Mr. Kojima's work, but that does seem kind of sick. Um, and then I listened to a ton of podcasts about people, you know, playing Death Stranding and talking about it. And I was like, wow, this lore seems wild and not all of it seems good. Um, but I am kind of intrigued. And, y- you know, for better or for worse, I am glad that we went and watched through the cutscenes because now I really feel like I understand, um, you know, what all the hype was about. Right. Yeah. I mean, like... You know, we'll get into it. Um, I think that the concepts were good. I think the execution was flawed. Um, it was definitely, I don't regret looking into it just because I think I've learned, honestly, even back, I don't know if you remember like Inception in 2011. I've learned that anytime people say that the lore for something is really confusing or like, oh man, like I remember the thing with Inception, everyone was like, oh my God, it's your mind's going to be blown. Like anytime anybody says something like that to me, I've grown very suspicious of that reaction. And just like, I don't know, I felt like I anticipated going in and maybe not being shocked, but definitely being led around in a very complicated way. And I think that's this game met my met that expectation of like it's not necessarily confusing. It just takes a really, really long time to lead you to an obvious conclusion. Would you like how did you feel about just like that method of not even that method of storytelling, but, like, would you even agree with that assessment? No, I don't think you're wrong. I do think that there's a lot of hand-holding, especially, I assume, in the director's cut, because, um, you know, we'll talk about director's cuts and editing, but I this is the uh, allegedly, right, the, the p- parts that Kojima, you know, wanted to add into the original game, and now, um, you know, we're seeing what that's like, and unfortunately, yeah, I do think there's a lot of hand-holding, a lot of, like, okay, I explained a concept to you in this cutscene, but I'm also going to have this, um, you know, audio log explain it to you again, almost verbatim. Um, so, yeah, I do think that wasn't incredible, but um, let's let's actually start talking about the plot. Um, okay, so in post-apocalyptic America, time... The worlds of living, of life and death have converged. Um, So that's bad. (laughs) And basically what happens is whenever someone dies, their body necrotizes. And if it isn't disposed of within 48 hours, and by disposed of, I mean burned, uh, it creates a bit of explosion. Um, Like level a city block or multiple city blocks. Like it's it's a pretty big explosion. Um, So that's bad. Um, so whenever this event where the worlds of the living and the dead converged, I think we call that the death stranding. Um, and then a bunch of people started dying and exploding and that was really bad. Um, and that kind of caused the downfall of America, but, uh, Sam, uh, Bridges, who is our main character, his mom, the president Bridges strand, um, 
is tasking him to go through the disconnected cities of America that still remain and um, deliver packages and like try to rebuild this chiral network, which is basically just the internet. Um, so that way they can reconnect America. You know, people are so scared of being connected with people um, because of the death stranding that now, you know, her, her whole dream right before she dies uh, is to make America whole again. Um, and that is not unintentional <laughs> phrasing, right? If you're thinking about make America great again, that's, yeah, that's intentional. Um, so Sam's whole thing is to task is to make America whole again by delivering packages across America. He literally walks across, you know, from East coast to West coast. Um, you know, it, it, it's a pretty long trip apparently, but he, he makes it in great time. Um, over the course of this, he, you know, learns and uncovers more stuff about himself, about the people around him, um, you know, really figuring out, you know, why the Death Stranding happened. Uh, specifically, he, he's learning a lot about his sister, Amelie. Uh, Amelie America Strand. Uh, or Samantha America Strand. I don't know. I don't know which one her name is. But anyway, she becomes the new president and he's trying to rescue her because uh, a terrorist kidnapped her in the West. Uh, because she was sent to do this whole thing. And failed apparently. Uh, now she's in the West and and um, needs help. Also, you know, you might be asking, why is the president of America kidnapped in the West? How did that happen? Don't worry about it. Um, anyway, he he makes his way to Samantha Anomaly America Strand. Um, you know, he fights a bunch of like cool, oily monsters and bad guys, and at the very end, it's revealed that. Um, his sister, the president, uh, was actually his mom the whole time, and she is an extinction entity, which is set to cause the end of humanity, just like the five other great extinctions, you know, like when the dinosaurs died or whatever. Um, she's the sixth one. Sam is presented with a choice to either kill her or to allow her to live and, you know, watch the entire world, you know, all of humanity end. Uh, he doesn't. He chooses to hug her instead, uh, and she decides not to end humanity, and she's going to hold it off for another couple thousand years. Um, and it, then there's a bunch of cutscenes, and it turns out Sam was also a bridge baby. Uh, he was Mads Mikkelsen's son. So I can't really explain it better than that without getting really deep into a, pl a plot, but there is a man who is named Die Hardman that we will talk about, I promise you. I think you did a very good job. Thank you. You're welcome. This is a very confusing game, and you you did it. You made it through. Thanks. Shall we talk about Sam Porter Bridges, parentheses, Norman Reedus? I like Sam. I think he's, uh, he's just rude enough, uh, and he's a very good mailman. Yes, he delivers packages, even though he doesn't want to, um... He, he's a very he's a good guy um i don't know he doesn't like touching people that's one of his whole things he has she struggles with connection relatable uh, yeah i mean valid um but yeah i mean he, he's like kind of i don't want to say he's an everyman i don't want to say he's a blank slate because like his personal lore is very important to the story but like i you know i don't think his personality is is 
super memorable aside from you know the stuff that you said like you know he's like i don't really want to do this i had a big fight with my family um i I don't really want to be a part of this bridges the company he works for is bridges that's the one that's trying to create the united cities of america to make america whole again um but yeah i mean he's 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 a good he's like a fine guy i think norman reedus does a good job playing him and i think the relationship he develops you know with some of the other characters is, is pretty good i like his emotions especially when it comes with to him and the bridge baby the bb uh lou i really like seeing how he develops an attachment to the the little baby um yeah i like him his his bladder can hold 500 milliliters of piss what's yeah, not this- to love I mean, so you look that up and that is like a, like a, as much as the human body is really supposed to hold mm-hmm. or is like maximum how much it could hold. So I recently drove from <laughs> Texas to New York um, during a pandemic while having asthma. So I was trying to avoid public bathrooms as much as humanly possible and not stop as often as maybe I could. And let me tell you. When I was just really holding some piss in, I couldn't think straight. So I don't know how he was running around doing tasks with half a liter of piss in that bladder. Because if I'm holding in, you know, 85% capacity, I've learned that I become a road hazard. (laughs) You know, I just want to, I just, from that broke my immersion a little bit <laughs> yeah why is it sam sweating profusely and just like have his eyes closed in blind pain <laughs> um but yeah other than that it was pretty realistic i think um <laughs> let's talk about sure. fragile uh leah sado i think plays fragile. yeah uh of uh oh we should we should mention that norman reedus uh is judas in the judas music video by lady gaga um, and Leah Sidu, I know from, or Sidu, sorry, I know from Blue is the Warmest Color, um, which is a French lesbian movie made by a predator. Um, but she does, I think, a phenomenal job. I really like her performance. Um, I really like the character. Uh, I don't like how the character is treated. Yes, we are going to fall into a similar problem with women as in the Kingdom Hearts series, which is that they all... Uh, become objects uh, in some degree or other it's not great but fragile herself is great um you know she runs a competing uh package delivery business called fragile express i believe mm-hmm. um and handled like her- with love yeah um they you know they handle it with care and love and they you know the fragile's whole thing is that she falls in unfortunately with the terrorist higgs who is kidnapped uh sam's sister but like her, her whole thing is that like she got tricked into delivering a nuclear uh, bomb to to a city and, and ended up blowing up that city, um, which is which is very sad and nobody trusts her anymore. But like her whole deal is she can teleport people to these beaches, these like places between the living and the dead. Kind of, it's it's mostly dead. Um, but like, yeah, she has like some cool superpowers, and um, you know, I, I think she's really interesting and cool, and. Um, you know, I think Leah, like you said, Leah Sido does a does a great job uh, portraying her, reading some of the most shit lines I've ever, I've ever listened to. Because she's fragile, but not that fragile. Yeah, they say it like literally four times, and it's just like, okay, we we get it, sir. Uh, yeah, and I can't talk about fragile and not talk about. Um, 
this is just me begging on my knees at this point, but can we please stop stripping women as punishment in our stories? <sighs> yeah, it fucking sucks, right? So I have to talk about time fall. So the rain in this universe um, causes things to speed up and age quickly. So, you know, Fragile is trying to get revenge on this terrorist Higgs, but he caught her. And in order to punish her, he, like, made her strip, and, except for, like, put a bag on her head so that her, her face would be preserved and made her carry a nuke into, like, a pit and throw it into a pit. But it's also raining, so, like, her body would age. Um, and, like, that was his punishment. It's just fucking gross. Like, it's it sucks. Yeah, it really reminded me of a scene in um, the new Harley Quinn movie that came out a couple of years ago. Birds of um, Prey. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a scene in Birds of Prey where the villain makes a woman in a bar that he owns dance and strip on a table as, like, punishment. And there's no reason for that scene to be in that movie. It adds absolutely nothing. We already know the guy's an asshole. He cuts people's faces off. We really didn't need the reinforcement. Um, And that's kind of what this felt like, is, like, we know Higgs is an asshole. We meet him and he licks us. That's, like... You know, he's a terrorist. He mailed a nuke. You don't need the reinforcement of Higgs being a bad person. And there are other ways to use the time fall that aren't as humiliating. And it would be one thing if everyone in this game got some sort of humiliation like that. But it's really just the women. So yes. mm-hmm. it's it just feels um, really gross in a narrative that really has a reverence towards birth specifically like from like babies in the womb birth umbilical cords like all of that imagery is like very pertinent in this story and it's just really gross where it you know something like that is treated with such reverence but then like you have things like still mothers which are like brain dead women that are forced to carry babies to term and those are bridge babies and um the humiliation of fragile and we'll talk about mama in a minute too who's a character whose name is mama like it's yeah it's really it i really wanted to like this narrative and there's definitely parts of it that i really do enjoy but those things every time they happen took me out of it and it just made me tired honestly it just made me really tired yeah there is an element of gendered um like storytelling that that is really gross throughout this this game which we do have to criticize um and and we will because uh, it doesn't stop here um how do you feel about bridge baby 28 or lou i love him a baby just a baby uh I, I think there's some fun stuff like i'm sure there are mechanical things that we missed but like it seemed like you could also interact with the baby like you know the purpose of the bridge baby which is basically like a little like preemie baby in an orange bottle that you hook up to your character that lets you detect the um tar ghosts the beached things um but like yeah it seems like if you exhaust you use that power too much you exhaust the baby and upset them and they like start to cry and like there's like a whole mechanic where you can basically like comfort them uh and that's really cute and you know occasionally sam will like sing songs to lou and like kind of sam's whole motivation I mean, his motivation is technically to get Amelie back, but he begins to form an attachment to this specific bridge baby who, you know, uh, Guillermo del Toro encourages him to treat as equipment. But, you know, it's it's, it's a human baby. It's got a face. Um, 
you know, not to sound like a fucking anti, uh, anti-abortion anti activist here, but, like, it, it's hard not to get attached to, you know, something like that. And um, so, like, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, you know, it's cute. I like Lou. Yeah, Lou's cute. How do we feel about, uh, I really liked Higgs. Higgs is an effective villain, I think. Yeah, and Troy Baker does, like, a... Uh, we were talking about uh, Palpatine a while back and how that's a really hammy performance. Mm-hmm. That's what this was. This was very hammy. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, he completely leans into it. If you're a villain who licks people, like, you have to be like, okay, yeah, that's who I am, 100%. And he does that. Like, he does he does some cool shit. I mean, obviously, he's the bad guy, and, you know, we, we defeat him in the end. But, like, he, he does some of the coolest, like, usage of the, the beached things. Like, he summons whales and weird tar tiger lions to come fight you and... At the very end, you have a very fun, gimmicky boss battle that's just like a fighting game where both of you just get little health bars and you just beat the snot out of each other. Um, yeah, like Higgs is great. He he can he teleport really good. Um, yeah, I liked him. I thought he, I thought it was interesting. Um, maybe not interesting, but he served his role exactly the way that you would want it to be served. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of serving, uh, Die Hardman. <laughs> Die Hardman. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh boy. So I was listening to some podcasts, uh, specifically Waypoint Radio's coverage of these games when they came out in 2019 uh, to prep for this episode. So you might be thinking, Die Hardman, that sounds like the movie Die, Die Hard with um, not Vin Diesel. I forgot. Oh my God, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, thank you. <laughs> Um, wow, we forgot Vin Diesel earlier, and now we forgot mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. I forgot the other one. There could only be one. Um, Die, Hard, Die Hardman might sound like his name is taken from the movie Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis. Um, that's because it is. Um, his whole thing is about how he, you know, some people die harder than others. But when I was listening to this Waypoint Radio podcast, I learned um, what his real name is. Um, Layla, do you want to guess what Die Hardman's real name is? Isn't it John something? John McClain, which is to say the main character of Die Hard. He's literally oh the Die Hard man. Fucking God. So, yeah, um, he's basically he's the president's chief of staff. Essentially, he wears a cool black skull mask. Um, he was involved with the creation of the Bridge Babies. And basically, he knows who um, Norman Reedus's dad is. That's all he really does besides explain people's backstories to you. Which, like, I'm convinced that's his just whole job. Because he'll just pop in on you to, like, give you ambient dialogue. And I'm like, are you just watching the live feed? If if you've got nothing else to do, come out here with me. Deliver packages. What are you doing? Yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I feel like they could have used this character in better ways. I mean, at the very, very end, we get a lot of cutscenes with Die Hardman and... um clifford mads mickelson but uh yeah i don't know that this character was necessary um yeah you know i disappointing unfortunately the performance was good um whoever did the voice acting did a great job but you know all the performances were honestly very good i didn't see a single slacking performance in this entire show uh it was it was all really convincing. Everybody bought in, which I really appreciate. Everybody really like bought into the vision, and everyone tried something. Whether or not it's successful, we'll talk about it. But um, you know, we're fans of trying. Yes, absolutely. Um, I believe the person who played Die Hardman is Tommy Earl Jenkins. By the way, Tommy uh, Earl Jenkins, great job. 
Um, so we do, however, have feelings about Dead Man, not to be confused with Die Hardman. Dead Man, played by one Guillermo del Toro, who has been on this podcast before uh, for Pacific Rim. There is a scene where Guillermo del Toro as Dead Man gets in a shower booth with Norman Reedus and is just in his space. You know, not in an uncomfortable you know how sometimes like people violate each other's space and you're just like, oh, that's icky in a genuinely comedic way. Like they are just doing circles in this shower, trying to like talk where they won't be monitored. (laughs) He's just comically and cartoonishly in, in Norman Reedus's face. And it's my favorite scene in the whole game. My favorite thing is that immediately afterwards when he gets out, he's like, oh, thanks for, you know, I know that was a little bit uncomfortable, but thanks for letting me to use your shower, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Beats doing the laundry or something because they're both in their fully clothes. Yes. (laughs) Beats doing the laundry is the line. It's like, okay, hold on. I think I would be extremely suspicious if I was a government, like, agent monitoring uh, fucking Norman Reedus, and then all of a sudden, Dead Man walks into his shower with him fully clothed. Uh, like, uh, mm. <laughs> honestly, incredible. Uh, Deadman's whole thing is that he is quote unquote Frankenstein's monster. He is put together out of cadavers, basically, so he has no soul, and that's why he's well in the lore of this game, and that's why he is so obsessed with um beaches and the afterlife because he like does not have one um and um his i really like his character especially one because i love guillermo del toro i think he's very funny Mm -hmm. um but two he also starts to get attached to bb uh because at first he's like this is hardware don't get attached he like tries to cremate him twice um, cause you know, it, it would be like a retired piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he starts getting attached to BB and he gets really excited when, uh, Lou becomes like responsive to him yeah, and does everything cute. to like protect him when they're time traveling and all this stuff. Um, so I really like, uh, dead man. I think I thought that was really well executed. Yeah, definitely. Guillermo del Toro does a great performance and he's, he's genuinely like one of the funniest characters in this. Um, it really, really great benefit. Um, uh, I'm so glad that Guillermo and Kojima are friends so <laughs> you could get into this uh, video game. Okay, um, so let's talk about Amelie slash Amerigo. Amelie? We cannot start. But that that My Brother, My Brother and Me bit has been the <laughs> stuck in my head. <laughs> every for 12 hours of cutscenes. That's every time everyone's like, where's Amelie? And I'm like, Amelie? Sitting on the beach waiting for Norman Reedus, Amelie. Uh, Every time, without fail. I bring an end to a humanity, Amelie. <laughs> it's great. Um, anyway, her name is Amelie, or Amerigo, as in America, Vis- America Vespucci, um, the man who quote-unquote discovered America he didn't, um, or Samantha America Strand. She's also Bridget Strand. So pick a name. It doesn't matter. It's her. In the credits, she explains that Ama means soul in french um and then she's like a soul that's a lie because it's ama and then lie uh and me and layla both just yelled for about two minutes because it's it's the worst (laughs) he he 
I think the thing you said really resonated with me, which is that, like, knowing more than one language is really hard. Kojima having a grasp of multiple languages is amazing, but he does use his powers for evil sometimes. Um, And this was it. Yeah, this entire entire game is just uh, a siege against the English language naming (laughs) conventions. Uh, And it really did did feel like <laughs> kojima was threatening me uh every single time a character came up with a new name oh boy um how do you feel about amelie who is secretly uh also bridget strand you know what she reminded me of princess i don't Peach? know why oh, shut the fuck up <laughs> do you know i don't know why i don't know why don't ask me why taylor swift just like every time i look at her i think of taylor swift huh and there's something about just like skinny white woman. I just look at her and I'm like something swifty about it's like it's it's like the boss baby tweet. <laughs> I, 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 I know one skinny white blonde lady and I look at another and I go, that's Taylor Swift. <laughs> Getting a lot of Taylor Swift vibes from from this president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, she does girl boss the apocalypse, and I think I do appreciate that a little bit. Yeah, it's something. Um yeah, I, I I think her character is. F- I think her character is bad, actually. Um, I don't I, I don't. Okay, really tell ha- me more. I don't really have anything good to say about it because it's basically just like, okay, what if your mom kind of forced you into doing a trip across the United States to save the person you think is your sister? Um, but as it turns out, your sister has actually been your mom the entire time that you've known her, uh, and also that your mom is an extinction entity, which means that at any point in time, she could just allow humanity to end. Um, and, but because you love her after you have a weird, like pseudo sexual, like run across the beach with her at the very end, you, you don't kill her. And, and Layla and I had this discussion while we were watching. It, it was like, we like each other very much. Um, but, if it was us, if it was one of us, or the rest of humanity, it would be a very much like, hey, go ahead and pull the trigger. Like, listen, gotta do what you gotta do. Like, it is such a strange thing to have this character be like, yeah, no, the, the whole point of this is that you should actually love people. Um, and, like, when this entire game has just, like, been, like, people desperately getting by to survive, like, one of the worst things imaginable happening, which is that not only can, you know, is everybody disconnected, but, like, even death is a violent and obliterative act. Um, and, it, you know, literally leaving craters um, in lives. And, like, it is so... I don't think her character makes any goddamn sense, except for in the context in which Kozima presents it, which is, like... You know, she he she reveals at, as soon as you know he rescues her that she's actually been on a different. You know, she's actually in the east and not in, or she's actually on a beach and she's not actually physically in the west where Sam thought she was. Uh, so he has to go all the way back to get teleported to her beach by Fragile. He says the thing like oh, so I'm Mario and you're fucking Princess Peach or whatever. Uh, and then she's like, no, we can, they have this argument. And then she's like, no, we can, we we don't have to teleport with Fragile. We, we can just run like Mario and Princess Beach. Um, again, some of the worst writing that I've ever experienced in a video game. Um, it's so bad. 
like <sighs> would you say then that Sam's a real son of a bitch? No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't say that at all. God damn it. Uh, we should okay, so we should we should clarify really quick though. Like she is his mom in the sense that she raised him. Um, but Mads Mickelson's character, Clifford, had a wife who was a still mother, and that's his like biological mom, which I wouldn't bring up other than the fact that it's a context that matters within the world of this game. Yeah, I guess. Um basically what happens is that at the very end of the game she bridget shoots the bridge baby that sam is um but since bridget also exists on the beach like the death zone uh sam gets sam as a bridge baby gets sent to her like his soul or whatever does and she fixes him and sends him back um and that's what makes him a quote-unquote repatriate you know somebody who can reincarnate um and he comes back as a bridge baby um and then her body is still also in the real world so she's like, okay, I'll just raise this as my own. So that that is how she adopted him, is by shooting him. Um, which is not really a safe or ethical way to go about adopting children, in my opinion. Yeah, please don't uh, shoot prematurely born pod babies and then adopt them after healing them in another space. That's We don't advise that here on Mortified Pod. Do you want to talk about, about Mama? Yeah, we gotta talk with Mama. We gotta talk with Mama. Oh my God. Mama, Mama, Pit, Mama. First of all, her name is. Mal- I'm not gonna call her Mama. I refuse. Her name is Malingan, and that's what I'm gonna call her. Um, and she has a twin sister named Lachna, but I'm gonna get to that. But they're also literally the same person, so don't worry about that. They were conjoined twins who were separated, but apparently they have psychic powers because of that. You know what? I'm almost willing to buy into it, except for the fact that. Um, Malingan's whole thing is that she can't leave her safe house because she's has a baby and you hear the baby crying as you talk to her as a hologram throughout the game and then you get to mama and you come visit her or Malingan and the problem is that the baby is a BT so the umbilical cord coming out of her womb is a BT cord um it's a strand and uh, come to find out that the only reason she is even still alive is because the baby having because she basically she was in the hospital carrying her sister's baby as a surrogate when there was a terrorist attack and everything got caved in. And because she was there for days and dying, the time fall started to come and the baby took the time fall and basically, like, gave its life for Malingan to stay. I don't really understand the logic of it too much, but that's the long and the short of it. Because when uh, Sam cuts the strand, she does die. Um, and it makes me very angry because Malingan never gets to be a whole person ever. Um, she cannot be whole without the baby, and she cannot be whole without her twin sister, Lachna, um, because she then continues to live on in Lachna's head, and they, like, switch presences every once in a while. Um, it is genuinely infuriating. I, you know, I, I'm really, really working hard to give this game some credit because it executes on some concepts I really like, um, and some, you know, 
basically like visions of the world that I think I agree with, right? The fact that connections are really important. Um, this kind of tra um, transient view of life and death. Like I, I get all that. I understand where it's coming from. But I think kind of like Evangelion almost, which is a comparison we also drew when we were watching um, the end of this game. Um, it, the execution just drives me absolutely insane because at least with Evangelion I could look at it and go okay like you know most of this was made and like or conceptualized in like the 80s and 90s I don't obviously in the 80s and 90s this was still like a shitty view of women but it didn't have the like cultural structure to back up doing a better job I guess but in 2019 and 2021 you absolutely have a cultural structure to do a better job and it just that it simply wasn't the case like there is just no room for Malinga to be her own person and it broke my heart because she's a really good character and she's really smart and I really 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 struggle with her execution and it genuinely just I mean I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words as to how detached i am from it yeah i mean i completely agree with you it, we are always against when a character is flattened into another person right like i think we are always like trying to recognize the individual humanity of of, of people um and in a show where we analyze media we want to kind of take everybody and not just make one person another person because that kind of sucks um but yeah, I think this is definitely the weakest part of Death Stranding, which is that if you if every literally every woman in your game is either related to you or a mother, it's not great. <laughs> um, there is one other woman who is in this game that we saw, um, I guess, like that we interacted with outside of like delivering packages. Um, and her purpose was to get married. So like... <sighs> The treatment of women in Death Stranding is just embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it just sucks all around. Well, that character's function's even worse because it wasn't just to get married. Her function was object of desire, object of longing, uh, girlfriend, and daughter. Yeah, those, exactly. Those were the things. She was, yeah, an artist in her own right, but, like, that was never showcased. What was showcased is that her uh, boyfriend, uh, which I liked her boyfriend, I liked their relationship, but, again, in pattern with the rest of the women in this game, if your only functions are, like, mother, daughter, sister, girlfriend, um, giver of birth, or in um, Amelie's example, um, she's also the opposite of birth. She's extinction. Mm -hmm. um, that sucks. That's like that's all I can say about it is it sucks and it it really again for a game that I'm really trying to give some credit and like really work with because it, it talks about a lot of stuff I in a way that I agree with this was just I I, I genuinely it and so many other women were just completely fridged like uh Sam's uh, wife who died and Mads uh, Mickelson's wife who died it just it's yeah it's I'm beside myself a little bit honestly just reflecting on it. Mm -hmm. 100%. Anyway, Hartman dies every 21 minutes. Ugh, mood. <laughs> mood. He has the vibe of a guy on Reddit who plays devil's advocate for fun, because every time somebody gives you instructions, he pops in. He's like, actually, here's this other theory. Mm -hmm. He's really annoying. Um, 
But it is very funny that his whole deal is that he experiences life 21 minutes at a time. So he has like a whole room that is not only filled with like 21 minute movies and media, um, but also just like air mattresses from ceiling to floor in case he falls the fuck over. Uh, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was irritating, but his, his character premise is like really, really funny um, and we couldn't not bring him up. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, he's, he's relevant to the plot. He has a lot of stuff that happens at the end. He wears an a- AED strapped to his chest. Yeah, constantly. <laughs> Which, like, um, his uh, you know, his whole thing is that he's a wife guy. He's just looking for his wife and his daughter on the beach. And I'm like, listen, again, don't appreciate your wife being fridged. But you're dying every 20 minute, 21 minutes is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does also have, like, a very, very, like, I just, I hated the whole part of his his game where he's just like constantly like he spends like probably half an hour telling you about why his name is Hartman and his whole motivation and everything um then he says something about like he says uh i have pictures care to see hartman's heart-shaped heart uh and i was like i need to leave <laughs> uh because this is too much of a one guy and i didn't find him compelling unfortunately well he also looks at a, a heart-shaped pond or something and he <laughs> He goes, it's like, reminds me of this, sh- or it's like, it looks kind of like the shape of my heart or something. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, do you get guy. it yet? Do you get it that this guy's name is Heartman? His whole deal is his heart? It's That's shaped like a heart because it has muscle deformation, so it's shaped the shape of a heart, but it's a heart heart. Oh my God. Um, anyway, can we anyway. talk about Matt's Mickles now? He did a great job. I thought of all the performances, uh, he had the least to say, and I think maybe therefore was the most compelling. Yes, absolutely. Like there is okay. So whenever you go back to the beach when you die, um, you often you will hear um, Amelie singing the London Bridges song, um, which is just like if you do it once it's fine if you do it every single time it gets to be a lot because like like layla was telling me i was asking layla why it didn't work uh for us and i was like well layla's like "Eh, it's not there's no emotional connection like we don't really care that much about amelie whereas when clifford like sings this song to his baby like in the flashbacks that we see or like when he sings it to norman reedus too right that is very impactful and emotional um and i just thought that like yeah like his whole thing is like you know he he is this like weird ghost guy that like whenever he shows up you get teleported back to a different war like so there's one thing where you're like running through the trenches of world war one there's another one where you're like fighting him in the jungles of vietnam like like a pretty cool premise um like he has the best aesthetic he is like crying black tar and like there's fire like he can summon his gear with fire um, he's really cool, and like he also has like a very good, like like Layla said, you know, acting performance in which he like. I don't know if they mo capped him or not, but like the whole thing with okay, yeah, Layla's nodding. Um, so like, this whole, oh, this whole game is is a testament to like really good mocap. Okay, good because that that makes sense, and like in that case, he did a great job, just like emoting and and showing expression on his face, and like really conveying how you know that character was feeling to norman reedus with without saying very much which was absolutely to his benefit um crushed it mads mickelson um five stars do you know what would have made london bridge work for me what 
upon thinking about it. I think that when we got to the extinction event and we found out that Amelie is the villain, if the... Because sometimes they do use licensed music in this game and not just the ambient sound. I think if uh, Fergie's London Bridge started playing, <laughs> I, th I think it would have worked for me. I mean, actually, as a game that fucking has literal monster energy drinks in it, like, yeah, actually, I would have turned around on Amelie 100% <laughs> if all of a sudden she's like, I am the E.E. My London London Bridge is coming down. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, honestly, it's just that would have made it work for me. I think uh, really quick, because... Before we get into the bulk of this conversation, which is definitely just like the pacing and the editing of the story, which is... Aside from the misogyny, it's probably biggest detriment. Um, I do want to really quick then dip in, since we already started talking about it, into the fidelity question. Because we've talked about before on this podcast how we want uh, cheaper games made by well-rested people that take a longer time. Um, and usually that's a question of like, does this game need to be hyper-realistic all the time? Um, does this story need that kind of treatment? And for once, I think this is a game that really benefited from a really, really, really high fidelity treatment. I feel that way too, but I can't articulate why, except for maybe like just the the phenomenon of it, like just seeing the big fucking tar whales shooting out of the sky compared to, you know, Norman Reed and like seeing how much Sam like gets like looks like shit when he comes out of like, you know, a big fight where he's like got blood and tar just all over him. But yeah, what makes you think that this fidelity was so important here? Well, I think I think the, the, like not being able to articulate it is kind of part of it. And it's also part of the auteur vision. Um, a lot of the games we play that are about like you know life and and viewing life and existentialism are very visually I don't want to say visually simple but like not you know hyper realistic like heavily CGI'd very hum human performances um, and I think that allows a lot of room for interpretation of like the existential message right especially with like we've played super giant games and um like i've played celeste recently which is like a pixel game and there's a lot of room for interpretation and like projection i think kojima had a very specific visual view of the world these very big romantic vast landscapes these very like foggy atmospheres like these beautiful mosses in contrast with these bubbling tar lakes that come out of nowhere i think he had a very specific vision of the real world that was presented in this high fidelity space and i i really genuinely think it worked yeah absolutely right the, because of the spectacle um because of all the ways in which a camera is used to put like just draw contrast between the the wild stuff happening and like just the the smallness of the human characters i do think that yeah this this game is very important importantly uses um it's it's you know 2019 cutting edge graphics and and um, film techniques and yeah I, I do think that this game you know it, even if it is if it was done in a different art style i don't think it would be worse necessarily but i think that the way that it is done um really does benefit from the hyper realism um and you know i like like 
like we were talking about like i think the writing is the weakest part of this game i think the visual design is absolutely the strongest it it looks incredible throughout yeah absolutely which is um let's talk about the writing so (sighs) some people I, I, I don't know exactly how long it takes the average person to beat. Actually, I'm going to look that up. How long to beat? It's like 60 hours, isn't it? I, I was going to say 65. Um, okay. How long to beat says that this game is 40 and a half hours to beat the main story. Um, the director's cut, for some reason, is... Uh, okay, it says 57 and a half hours if you do... Um, main plus extras it says the main story is only 33 for the director's cut that's what i remember hearing hmm it's weird that it got shorter okay hmm. i hope that doesn't put a whole dent in our conversation i don't think it's still the i don't think it does but um because there's also a hundred hours of extra shit in the director's cut so uh, um but like this game probably should have been at least half as long uh right there's so much like going over old plot points that really are not that hard to comprehend um there's a lot of just like unnecessary dialogue that that i don't think adds to the story um i I think they would have been better served if they had taken out a lot of that dialogue and right this game famously right kojima was became a free agent in 2015 uh i think he was let go by konami i want to say in 2015 and um who's picked up by sony um and this is like really like i i think the the narrative around this game is that kojima became a like uneditable in the way that like stephen king became uneditable like at a certain point in his career or like you know he's the big name auteur and like everybody's like the reason you get a kojima is because he has a certain design that that he's famous for and at a certain point it's just like okay this is this is what it looks like when kojima has you know 100 has a blank check can do whatever he wants you know and like this is what you get and like i think there are so many aspects of death stranding that are like pretty cool and good and even like novel like uh, one thing that we didn't really talk about in you know the, watching all the cutscenes, but it is absolutely true is that this is not a combat focused game. Like there are guns, but your main verb is like movement and delivering packages. And like in, you know, that, that is still like nearly, you know, unbelievable in, in a triple a landscape that is dominated by combat focused games that rules. And I, and I want to commend Mr. Uh, Kojima for that, but like do needed a fucking editor. <laughs> Yeah, again, like, the movement felt really good. Uh, Norman Reedus trips a lot. There's a lot of really um, authentic, like, feeling. All of your gear is geared towards, like, delivering more packages. You get these hydraulic legs, these carriers. You become, like, taller than the frame with all the boxes you're carrying. There's some, like, genuinely cool things in the of what we saw in the gameplay, which was pretty limited. Um... But, but goddamn, um, it, I, I think seven hours of the 12 that we watched could have been cut. And I'm not, it's, it's not like I'm saying seven hours of content either. Seven hours of just watching the content and then being told what we just saw. And it's like, you have to have faith in your own concept enough to trust that the audience will get it 
And there was just, I did not feel trusted as an audience member for a second. And it was wild. Like, like in Kingdom Hearts, right? We, we get a lot of retcons and there's a lot of explaining what is going on. But I think a lot of that is because they are going back and changing the established lore. But like in this one, like it is truly like it is so clear that Hideo Kojima does not believe that people are going to be able to to hang with his concepts. When like you really only have to repeat it once, maybe like like and certainly not like the backstories of an obscure Reddit guy. Like I like maybe it's like the stuff about the beaches and, and the BTs could have bared repeating, but like. I get it. I'm I you know I'm a very amateur tabletop RPG designer, but I do design tabletop RPGs for fun, and like I constantly when I'm trying to like write out make game mechanics, I'm just, I I have to fight against my own urge to be like, oh, I'm gonna continue to explain what I mean by this, so that way this game is played exactly in my right vision, which you shouldn't do. You have to have faith that people are smart and understand what they're coming here for, and um. Like, listen, as as somebody who is a writer and, like, just really, really struggles being edited, like, I get how hard it is to to take feedback and, and incorporate it into your work. But, like, you, I do really wish that just, like, anyone who could have said no to Kojima was on the staff and, like, took a pass at this, this script and was like, you're going to say, like, Mario and Princess Beach at the climax of your game, Hideo, are you are you sure about this oh you're still sure okay i'm removing it anyway what the fuck are you doing here yeah it's a uh yeah oh man it's it's hard to talk about because you know it's always easier to criticize than it is to actually create but that's the thing right like i you i naturally would want to be sympathetic to the side of the creator but this is a collaborative process it's hard to believe that in uh, Hideo Kojima's really long really successful career that he doesn't have one person he trusts to edit him you know what I mean it just that's kind of the point of building these professional relationships is you meet people who you jive with and who you who understand your creative vision. Like, clearly, the artists got the assignment. You know, they understood their the creative vision they were supposed to execute on visually and in, in terms of audio and in terms of gameplay. Like, this is a really cohesive project. But it's, like, the lack of trust in the audience and it's just stunning. And it's it really, really, really took me out. And you brought up Kingdom Hearts. And I think that's apt because I do believe this is a Kingdom Hearts for edgy people. And I do have evidence to back that up. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, Kingdom Hearts for, for all of its Xehanorts and Terra Xehanorts and uh, Young Xehanort and Time Travels and, you know, Ansem, Xemnas, all these fools, you know. I, you, you never really get too much of the same story twice unless they changed something, <laughs> as you said. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, not to put Kingdom Hearts on a pedestal, uh, but yeah, I, I do think that they do a little bit better job of trusting their audience. Um, maybe that's because a lot of their lore is just like, hey, you remember the Disney world? Well, it's that. Um, but yeah, a little bit disappointed in... in in Kojima's work uh, here.
Well, Final Fantasy also has like a really long history of 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 letting its audience put together the pieces. So, I guess it doesn't surprise me that another Squeenix property was um, a little bit more trusting of you know again the audience. But yeah, it was just whew. Uh, this was this was. Um, I, I, you could have cut, you could have cut a lot. You could have cut a lot, and honestly, it, you would have just been cutting fat and still had the same amount of content. I think if you cut three hours of just redundant explanation. Agreed. So Layla, uh, you posted a meme earlier this week about how there's a lot of like anime, uh, you know, live action adaptations, and you posted like the distracted boyfriend meme that was like the boyfriend was a- animation. And the distracting girl was live action, and the original girl is musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering if there's a Death Stranding musical somewhere in here that we couldn't ring out of this production. The heels are in dead with the sound of heart, man. Yes. <sighs> yeah, I just, you know, I don't want this to be a TV show because it's already basically a TV show, but I do think that a Death Stranding musical would be very visually stunning. Well, it would cut all that stuff we just talked about. That's you true. Got, you got two and a half hours to keep the important stuff. I think we're keeping like Guillermo del Toro, BB, and Fragile. And I think everything else is going to have to go or be an ensemble character. I also think, do you think this would be like an original musical or a jukebox musical? Ooh, I kind of like a jukebox musical because... Kojima famously loves brands. I would love to get, like you said, London Bridge um, would be would be a, a, a song for sure. I would love a uh, big old, like, alarms start going off on the beach, because that's how that song starts. And um, the same energy as I'm Ready with just the BTs being backup dancers. And... I'm just only going into London Bridge by Fergie. That would fucking oh, would are you kidding me? Oh, bones. God, yeah, I do. I do definitely want. If there's a couple numbers in this in this movie and this musical that I want, I want a number with the giant Amelie and um, what's his name Higgs, uh, uh-huh. giving giving like a like an evil monologue as like you know a big prop of giant Amelie kind of like toddles around in the background, um. I want, you know, I want an opening number that just, you know, has, um, you know, uh, Bridget in in her bed, you know, singing sad songs to Norman Reedus uh, right before she dies. But most of all, I want a, I want a duet between Norman Reedus and Guillermo del Toro that takes place in the shower. <laughs> what if it's just Shaggy's wasn't me? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Um, I do also, if I, so I want London Bridge in there. I have one other request. I do think we need to find a way to slot in. And I think it would be Fragile singing about Higgs. I do think we need to fit in Lady Gaga's Judas as a shout out to Norman Reedus. Oh, that would be really good. (laughs) Oh, Christ. That would kick ass. Um, well... Hideo Kojima, uh, I know we said a lot of shit, mean things about you today. Um, I don't know that any of them were untrue, uh, but despite that, if you're looking for some people to perhaps put together a jukebox musical for you, um, our contact information uh, is coming shortly. <laughs> uh, Layla, 
where can people find us on the internet if they want us to make a jukebox musical for them? Oh my god. Uh, actually, so I did, fun fact, I did have a Dragon Age 2 jukebox musical almost completed uh, for a long time, because uh, that's the kind of person I am. You can't yeah. just you can't just you can't just <laughs> drop things like that right as we're trying to end our podcast. What do you mean you had a Dragon Age 2 jukebox musical ready to go? I wrote one. I wrote a Dragon Age 2 jukebox musical and it was almost done and then I deleted it because I was too embarrassed. <laughs> Why? No! Like, I can't tell you one of the songs um was Better Not Wake the Baby by the Decemberists, which uh, I think a version of could fit in the uh um, the death stranding jukebox. One hundred percent, of course. Um. So yeah, I do have experience writing jukebox musicals, and I'd be happy to teach Aaron my craft. Although I think he's already pretty far along. So oh my <laughs> call us. God. You can find me at leylses on Twitter and Tumblr. And if you ask me, I will drop some more lore about the Dragon Age two jukebox musical. So please <laughs> feel free. Everyone Aaron, do that. <laughs> All 22 of you, please. Um, Aaron, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet about health policy and tabletop RPGs. You can listen to the other podcasts I do at The Bible Boys, where me and my uh, two friends who are both ex-evangelicals and siblings uh, talk about Christian media. We will will release an episode on Hacksaw Ridge, uh, hopefully Wednesday. Uh, I said it was Hamburger Hill last episode, and that's just just not true. (laughs) Um, So sorry about that. Yeah. um, But anyway. uh, Were you thinking of Hamburger Helper? No, I was thinking about Hamburger Hill, which is an actual place in in, in Vietnam in the American Vietnam War, uh, but different okay. different you know geographic feature that a lot of people died at apparently. Um, but yeah, that movie was um, it wasn't good, but we did have a interesting conversation. So check into that. Um, our theme song is "Obsolete" by Keshko from the album "Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, how are we going to say goodbye to our listeners this week? Uh, well, Aaron, they're going to have to cope without a goodbye because I brought you a metaphor. <laughs> uh, we'll see you all next time. <laughs>